0: This is God's word. Let me begin with Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to following. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. John thirteen thirty four and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then First John 4 verses 19 and 20. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. Cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, uh, my name is Marshall Brown. I'm one of the pastors. I'll be teaching on the passages that I just read. I do want to say happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers, especially to a mother who'll be watching later on uh, TV. Uh, my mom in Dallas will hear this on Father's Day, of all things, uh, but I do want to honor my mother. A lot of places you could be this. Uh, Day, this Mother's Day, you could be at an early brunch, you could be with your family, but you're here, and we are thankful that you are here. I walked up here with my jacket on to honor my mother, but it is hot, and I'm going to take my jacket off after I pray here in just a moment, uh, so that you can have my full attention. Uh, Let's pray before we look at this passage. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the difficult commands here about loving one another, bearing with one another, the fellowship and devotion to it. I pray that as we look at these passages this morning that you would be with us. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For Christ's sake we pray, amen. Last week I thought about doing this and didn't, and I regretted it. There we go. All right. Well, uh, we started a new sermon series last week that we were entitling The Living Church, The Living Church, and it's based on Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following, especially Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves, the early church did, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now we said, and uh, just you should know, that these words come right after the event of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 is the story of Pentecost, the first 41 verses. When the fire comes down, when the Spirit comes down on the early church, and there's these miraculous things that happen, many people become Christians. And in these verses that follow that great event in the beginning, the inauguration of the church, this is not just a description, these verses. They're not just a description of the early church, but they are a prescription for God's church throughout time, a prescription for God's church throughout time. So, as we emerge from the pandemic, whatever it is that's happening, I want us to look at who God calls us to be as the church who God calls us to be. The reality is on the North Shore, as of most of America, life slows down over the summer. A lot of initiatives slow down. But when we ramp back up in August and September, I want these verses, and especially verse 242, you can memorize, it's super simple. I want these words rattling around in our brains. Last week, we looked at the living church that learns. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. This week and next week, we're doing two weeks on this one, the living church loves. They are devoted to quote, the fellowship. Now, we've been using the analogy of a garden. We'll continue to use this analogy to tie it together. As I mentioned last week, if you were here, my family is planting a raised garden for the first time. And by loving, by learning, by worshiping, by praying, by doing these things, as a congregation, we are planting a garden. We're watering, we're fertilizing. And we're acknowledging that God is alone the one who gives the growth. We don't know if disease, pandemic, frost might come. Uh, We don't also know when there might be ideal conditions for a very fruitful harvest, uh, an explosion of growth and fruitfulness. Now, I am not a a wine guy, uh, but I know enough to know that there are better years for wine and less good years for wine. So I did a little research last night. I looked up the years that were the best for California Cabernets, the best years. And I know now that if I come to your home or you give me a bottle of wine, it is a 1997, which is a near perfect vintage, apparently. A near perfect vintage, 1997. I know that you mustn't really love me and think highly of me. However, however, if I come to your home and you show me a 2011 California Cabernet, I know that you don't think very highly of me. Uh, you're trying to say something to me. Now, what's the difference when t- same land, right? What is different is the context, the weather, right? We can't control those things. All we can control is what we can control. And the ingredient we look at today, they were devoted to the fellowship the living church loves okay now uh, this may be the one greek word you know it's a lot of times on the on the on the you know a lot of baptist churches are called koinonia baptist church the greek word for fellowship the fellowship right here is the word koinonia it's actually a greek word you see some the greek word for fellowship is koinonia and it's from the word it's from the root koine which means common Something in common or to share. You see in verse 44, look with me. And all who believed were together and they had all things in common. The word there is koiné. The word fellowship is koinonia, okay? So koiné, koinonia, having all things in common. Well, what do we as followers of Jesus share? What do we have in common? Well, first, we share a common inheritance in God. We share a common inheritance in God. Secondly, we share a common service to the world, our outward face, but thirdly, we have a common inheritance, a common life together. If you want to use the prepositions, what do we have in common? First, there's the up. We have a common inheritance in God. Then there is the out. We have a common service. Uh, Genesis 12 says that we are, spo- we are blessed as the people of God, and we are blessed so that we might be a blessing, that we might serve our community and world. But then, third, we have a common life together, the in, okay? Which is where we will focus our attention this morning. Now, if you are new to grace or new to faith in Jesus, or maybe uh, you're a skeptic, you're a seeker, you're not sure what you think or believe about Jesus, and certainly not about his church, this is actually a chance for you to overhear what Jesus says about his church and even some of our hopes as a church uh, for our life together, our common life together. I have three points this morning. Uh, First, we are created and redeemed for fellowship. Second, we are called or commanded to love one another. And third, we are what does it look like to be devoted to the fellowship? Created and redeemed for fellowship, called to love one another and devoted to the fellowship. And by the way, I will be using the words community and fellowship interchangeably. But first, we are created and redeemed for fellowship. The very first book in the Bible is Genesis. If you're open to page 1, it's a book called Genesis. It is the biblical story of creation and the scene is a garden. Uh, appropriately for my metaphor, and it is verdant and it is beautiful. And in that story, the first human created here, that story is Adam. And he is portrayed as the king of all of creation. He rules over the beasts of the field and all the plants of the earth. And everything about the Garden of Eden is described as good. God calls it good. God created this, and it was good. God created that, and it was good. God created human beings, and it was very good. And the original actually says, good, good. Everything is good. But then we get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and it says, It is not good for a man to be alone. Now, this is before Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3 is when sin and rebellion and brokenness enters the world. Genesis 3 is when the fall comes. Genesis 2.18, there's something that is not good before sin enters the world. The Word of God is saying that even in a perfect world, think about this, a world with no disease, no violence, full flourishing, no war, no death, none of that. None of that exists. And yet there is something that is not good if there is not relationship and community. I mean, this picture of Adam in Genesis 1 and chapter 2, 1 and 2, is really sad. He is this solitary figure, portrayed as the monarch of everything that is around him, but poignantly he is very alone and he is in complaint. It is not good to be alone. We were created for relationship. Now, Genesis 2, you would maybe know, goes on to talk about the gift of marriage, the most intense of human community and fellowship. But marriage, it's very important to say, is not the only community and not the only fellowship. The two most prominent people in the early church were the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul, who never married either one of them, okay? This is about community, not about marriage. Because what did we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is that, friends, you and me, We were designed not just to know other people, but to be known by them. We were designed not just to love other people. We were designed to be loved. Let me say this another way. We were designed, you were designed, to be seen. To be seen, right? For somebody to look at you and to see you for who you really are. And it's not just that we were created for this. Jesus actually redeemed us for this. He redeemed us into community, into fellowship. If you've been with me in a meeting in the last 2 weeks and I've had a, a, a moment to share something about scripture, this is the verse I've shared. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. This kind of has just grabbed me this week in a new way. 1 Peter 2:9 says this, speaking to the people of God, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now, I, I've studied the Bible for a long time, and I never, when I hear those words, I've always thought that kind of it said we were a chosen person and a royal priest and a holy man or a holy woman. But no, it says you're a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. It's not, friends, that we were just created for fellowship and community. We were redeemed into it. We were redeemed into it. And the reason this is important, the reason it exists, is because our God Himself, exists in community father son Holy Spirit three persons one God God has never been lonely God has never been without friends God did not create the world because he was lonely and he needed someone to talk to father son and spirit have existed in perfect friendship in perfect community throughout all of time. And here's the deal. Genesis 1 also tells us that you and me, we are created in God's image. And because we are created in the image of a communal God, we are designed to live with each other, to be in community. And when we are not in community, or when community founders, we are not experiencing the fullness of life as humans. When you're outside a community or you're not in a rich community, your human experience is less than. But it's also this, when you're not in human community, your experience of God is less than. There's a Dutch theologian I've been reading lately named Stefan Paz. And Stefan Paz says this, I'm quoting. Insofar as our society prevents genuine human encounters. And our society prevents genuine human encounters, it is a society where the experience of God is fading. You know that picture that went around about four or five years ago when Ocular, Facebook's kind of their, their VR thing, and everybody is, Mark Zuckerberg is walking through the room and everybody has the goggles on. Do you see this picture? It's kind of this terrifying, like, you know, tyrannical picture. Uh, but here's the real, we so much, any community, any world where there is genuine human encounters being prevented, that is a society where the experience of God is fading. You need other people to know God. That's saying it negatively. But Paz also quotes the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, and he puts it positively, Rowan Williams does. I love this. The life of the Christian community is to so order our relationships that human beings may see themselves as desired as the occasions of joy. You're to see yourself as the occasion of joy in the light of other people. You were designed not just to enjoy other people. You were designed to be enjoyed. To be enjoyed. One of the best feelings in the world is when someone enjoys you. Not for what you've done for them. Not for what you've pr- produced or achieved or some status you have. because Just they are enjoying you for who you are. For who you are. Friends, we were made for community, we were redeemed for community. And behind, seconds, the number one experience in the human life is communion with the eternal God. But the second experience, the pinnacle of human experience, is deep, rich community fellowship where you feel seen, known, loved, desired, and enjoyed. That is the hope and the promise of Christian community. Now, since our first parents, though, rebelled and sinned against God, since Cain killed Abel, fellowship has been a struggle. We hide like Adam and Eve. We blame, we shame, we sabotage, we do violence. We don't do community and fellowship. And so knowing this, behind loving God, the number one concern of all of Scripture in the New Testament is that we would love one another. Think about it. When somebody asked Jesus, what is the chief command? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And what is after that? Love your neighbor as yourself. The number one concern of Scripture after loving God is loving one another. So secondly, we are called to love. We are commanded to love one another. That phrase, one another, occurs 59 times in the New Testament. Uh, the idea occurs over 130 times. I-, I printed these verses out for you that I read just a moment ago to show you different authors different, uh, saying it a different way in the New Testament. First, the Apostle John in the reading from 1 John 4, 19. In 20, I'll, I'll just read verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. The legend of the Apostle John, and this is apocryphal, anecdotal, we don't know if it's true, but I, it, it sounds true. Uh, the Apostle John, at the end of his life, he was in Ephesus, and he was reported to walk around just saying, again and again, love one another, love one another, love one another. You'd ask him any question, and his response would be, love one another. And if you read the God, book of First John, I could have chosen like six or seven different verses from that little short little book, First John, and printed them in the bulletin for you this morning. It's the same thing again and again and again. Love God, love one another. But it's not just John, it's the Apostle Paul. Real quickly, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the love of Christ. But maybe the most remarkable instance is from Jesus himself, John 13, verses 34 and 35. Read with me again. A new commandment I give to you, Jesus says, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, that is a remarkable statement. First of all, Jesus is saying, how are you to love? Like I did. And how did he love? He gave his life. It's an astonishing requirement of us. But also this, that the world, the non-believing world, will know that you know Christ, that you are a follower of Jesus, by how we love one another. It's not by our preaching. It's not by our worship. It's not by our service. It's not even by our evangelism. How will the outside world know that we are followers of Jesus? By the way, we love one another. Fascinating. Convicting. So, as they would say in Texas, kumbaya, y'all. Kumbaya, right? Be devoted to the fellowship. Now, I wonder what you're feeling when you hear that. Be devoted to the fellowship, right? Well, maybe you're like, man, that's impossible. Or perhaps you're like, well, I got friends. I don't need Christian friends, close Christian friends, especially weird ones. Maybe you're thinking, that sounds exhausting. I know others of you are thinking, well, I tried that once, and it didn't end well. I got hurt by a pastor, by a church, by a group of people within a church. There is such a thing, and actually I think the incidence of his growing, that is PTSD as it relates to churches. We all know people. Some of us are those people who have been hurt by the church of Jesus Christ, by pastors. The churches, churches are disappointing places. This church, it's a disappointing place. Some of you like to tell me about that. <laughs> but hear me, being devoted to the fellowship, loving one another, means leaning into that disappointment. Because the moment of disappointment is actually the moment when breakthrough to real community can take place. This past week I was reading in the prophet Ezekiel. Anybody reading Ezekiel this week? Anybody read Any takers? Uh, It's kind of random that I was reading Ezekiel. Old Testament prophet, not well known. I don't know if I'll ever get to it to preach it. It is hard to understand. If somebody ever asks you, I mean, I've never been asked this question, what's the outline of Ezekiel? Here it is. First two-thirds judgment, last uh, third renewal, okay? Uh, But Ezekiel, the first two-thirds are about judgment, the last part is about renewal. And one of the images of the blessing, the renewal, is Ezekiel 36, 35. It says this. The land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. Now, I probably wouldn't have noticed that verse except for the fact that I'm physically planting a garden right now. I spent about two hours working on it yesterday, all right? Uh, but since I'm planting this raised garden, I kind of thought, I was like, okay, I want to think about garden, you know, okay? So I paused, and it's interesting that the desolate will come a garden. It's interesting to me because what I'm learning is that gardens flourish where there are dead and desolate and decaying things in the soil. That is the premise of composting, right? That is the premise of composting. The old joke, do you know why the grass is green on the other side of the fence? Anybody know? There's manure over there, okay? That's funny. You can laugh. The image of a garden flourishing in a place of desolation in Ezekiel it reminded me of the classic statement of Christian community, the best book I know in Christian community. It's on our book table. It didn't sell out after the first service. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's It's a Very Short Life Together. And one of my favorite sections in that book concerns what he calls, quote, the hour of disillusionment. The moment someone hurts you, or disappoints you, or the church hurts or disappoints you. This is a quote. When sin and misunderstanding burden the communal life. And then I continue to quote. The very hour of disillusionment becomes incomparably beneficial because it so thoroughly teaches me that neither of us can live by our own words and deeds. We only can live by the one word and deed which binds us together, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. See, friends, if we allow it to, the hour of disillusionment, the disappointment of the church, if we can lean into that moment and get to the cross of Jesus Christ, where we see ourselves as broken and and sinners hurting other people and see the other person as somebody loved and forgiven by God himself, if we can get through that moment, we can see through to the breakthrough where true community and fellowship can happen there's an old scottish theologian named john duncan who says something that's very provocative that's worth thinking about he says this john duncan i think it's 200 years ago he says our sin our brokenness is the handle by which we grab hold of god now think about that for just a moment how are you going to get a hold of god your own sin your own brokenness that's a profound statement. Well, let me give you the Marshall Brown corollary based on this text. I totally lost my place. I know what the corollary is, though. The Marshall Brown corollary is this. Sin is, if sin is the handle by which we grab hold of God, sin is also the handle by which we grab hold of one another, by which we grab hold of community. If you're in a good marriage, you know this. Some of the sweetest moments in marriage are after a fight. An argument right my son clings most closely to me when in love I have disciplined him when we've had conflict the closest friends are all those that have been forged in conflict in the place of desolation and decay a garden can be planted a garden Let me comment for just a second on the North Shore. The North Shore, on the one hand, is a place of amazing community. Amazing. When people voluntarily move away from the North Shore, I'm like, did you do them? Did you think about, I mean, the access to Chicago, neighborhood schools, kids can ride their bikes, you can walk. We've got the lake. There's so much to be offered on the North Shore. So much amazing community. But it's a little bit at the superficial level. And this is true everywhere. This isn't just the North Shore. Because on the other hand, my experience of the North Shore is it's a challenging place for a community. We're not sure what to do with diversity. We're not sure what to do socioeconomically. The relationships that we have to service providers are all one way. But it's not that that I want to focus on. Because this is a place where it's really hard to be vulnerable. In fact, the fact that you got to the North Shore, that you achieved whatever it is that you got here, you probably couldn't be vulnerable to get here. So it's actually hard to develop that skill, to develop that skill set. It's a place that's hard for vulnerability, and therefore I find it to be a place where friendship is hard to the point of being very rare. And my hope, my prayer is that our church can increasingly become a place where people look at us and say, you know, they really try to love one another, try to love one another. You know, let me, newsflash. The divisions that we see in our culture, they're not going away anytime soon. I mean, think about what happened this week with this, uh, this uh, Supreme Court docket, the, the abortion document that was leaked. Divisions are only going to get more intense, and it might get violent. But as the church of Jesus Christ, as the people of God, if we can love one another through our differences, through our hurt, through our disappointment, through our disillusionment, if we can love one another, we will shine like stars in the universe. This is why Jesus said this. It's like he lived for this moment. He said this. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. But to do that, to love one another, to lean into the disappointment, we're going to have to be, and this is my third point, devoted to the fellowship. We are created and redeemed for community, but we're also called to community. So, what does it look like then to be devoted to the fellowship? Now, there's a ton that could be said here. I want to focus just on the text that is in front of us from Acts chapter 2. Look with me at verse 45. And I'm not going where you think I am with this. I'll go there in a couple weeks, by the way. Uh, Verse 4, I'll tell you what I mean. And they were devoting them, they were selling their possessions. They were devoted to the the fellowship. And what do they do? Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Okay? That's what it looked like for them to be devoted to the fellowship. Now, there's three things that are happening in verse 45. If you look behind the text a little bit. First, there's a group of people who have a need, and they are raising their hand. They are expressing their need. That's the first thing that's happening. The second thing that's happening is there's a group of people that have provisions, and they are listening. They are listening to what those people are saying. And then they are doing something about it. They are giving to them. People are asking. People are hearing and listening. People are doing something about it. Let's look at each real briefly. First, people expressing their need. Okay, For, their, for you to get your needs met, you have to make your needs known. In Acts chapter 2, this is primarily material and financial. But the nature of relationships, all relationships, even those of us who have means, is acknowledging our need. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Second, listening to other people. Okay, Again, they had to listen to what the actual people were saying so they could meet those needs. They had to listen. Let me quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer again. The first service that one owes to the others in the fellowship consists in listening to them listening can be a greater service than speaking I don't know about you when you watch a group of people and you walk into a group maybe it'll be true out here in the foyer I hope not uh, but you look out onto a group of people you're just watching people talking together and the people who are quiet momentarily doesn't it sometimes feel like they're just waiting to talk they're not really listening they're just waiting to talk I know I struggle with this the American novelist Marilyn Robinson is a great fan of the uh, Genevan theologian John Calvin and in her reflections, Marilyn Robinson's reflections on John Calvin, and particularly about the way John Calvin always talks about people as being given, given to us, presented to us, she says this, in any encounter with another human being is like God posing a question. It opens up the world to us. If you want a great adventure, if you want a great adventure, listen. Just listen to the story of any human life. Every person in this room a great enough filmmaker who could listen closely could make a film, a movie, out of your story. Listen to the needs of those around you. But it can't stop just at listening. We must also give. We must also serve others. Ask, listen, and then give. Now, the overwhelming part of Acts chapter 2 is giving, selling possessions, and distributing those to have need. Uh, I will talk about giving money later in this series. I won't tell you what date I'm doing that, uh, but I will do that. Uh, we will come back to that in the series. But today I don't want to talk about money. I want to talk about giving your time, giving service, volunteering. You know, I have a principle that I, 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 would, I would violate this if I needed to, but I never preach on giving. I never preach on money in giving season, okay? I never preach on money during given season. I think it looks, you know... I just feel like it's a little slimy. I mean, I'd be willing to do it, by the way. But I just feel like it's a little fishy when a preacher starts talking about money at the end of the fiscal year, right? That just doesn't feel right to me. Well, here's a corollary to that principle. I don't like to preach on volunteering or service during a recruiting season, right? And for us, that comes a little bit later. But here's the deal. We need volunteers badly, right? Almost at all times. Uh, and I'm not, not, there's no plea coming out today. You're not going to walk into the foyer and find everybody like, how can you sign up to serve? It's not happening today, okay? But I do want you here to say that, I mean, I've been here eight years. And in those eight years, we have had a near constant financial surplus. We've really never had a financial struggle in the eight years that I've been here at least. But we have had a constant volunteering and service deficit. We never have enough volunteers, As your pastor, I love you. I love you, okay? That's, I'm, okay? You don't give your time. You don't give sacrificially of your time. You don't volunteer. I love you. You give of your money. Some of you are radically generous with your money. But it's really hard for most of you to give of your time. You know, the context of John 13, when Jesus says this, he's washing his disciples' feet when he gives us, he's just washed their feet, just dried their feet. And you know what? You don't have to be the son of God to wash feet. Now, he had to, he's the only one that can die on the cross. He's the only one that teaches like this. But you don't have to be the son of God to serve. Anyone can wash feet. Anyone can pass out a bulletin. Anyone can serve in the children's ministry. All right? We're called to serve, to give sacrificially, not just of our money. Again, that sermon's coming but to give of our time to volunteer. So what is the recipe for devoted to the fellowship? Three things real quickly. And kind of, yeah, three things. First, to be devoted to the fellowship, you have to have a plan, which is to say you have to have people that you are pursuing intentionally. You have to have a plan. John Stott says this in commenting on these verses. John Stott, I'm quoting. I do not think it is an exaggeration to say that small groups, Christian family, or fellowship groups are indispensable for our growth into spiritual maturity you can't grow as a christian unless you are in committed christian fellowship that doesn't have to be through our church in the fall our bible studies and our grace groups will get going again but you have to have a plan and you have to pursue christian friendships christian community but second this is your homework for the week ask for help don't ask your spouse Don't ask your children, don't ask your parents, but find some context in the next week where you have to ask for help. I mean, the the, the myth of being vulnerable is you have no needs. But for us to be devoted to the fellowship, we have to open ourselves up. We have to open ourselves up to vulnerability, which means asking for help. Third, a recipe for fellowship is listening. Call someone. Take someone to coffee. And have no other intention but to hear their heart, their needs, their story. Listen to another human life. Have a plan, ask for help, and then listen to someone. But to be devoted to the fellowship, it's going to get hard. It will get hard. It always gets hard. But I want you to remember, and this is my closing statement, remember the one who is most devoted to the fellowship. Because who was devoted to the fellowship before all time, through all time, and to the end of time? It was Jesus himself. Jesus gave up heaven. He gave up glory. He gave up riches. He gave up comfort. He gave up his life. He gave and he gave and he gave. Jesus was devoted to the fellowship. So, friends, we might follow in his steps and love one another. Let me pray for us. Our great God, we thank you for this call on us to be devoted to the fellowship. But we most of all thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have devoted yourself, you have given yourself to us. And it's for your name's sake we pray. Amen.